Hi, my name is Federico, a postdoc and associate member of ML4Q, and you're listening to ML4Q&A, a show where members from the Matter and Light for Quantum Computing cluster answer questions about their work in the cluster, their research, and the future of quantum. In today's episode, I'm talking to Catherine Dorn, a PhD student in the group of Reinhold Egger at the University of Dusseldorf. We will talk about her PhD project and how she started off to combine maths, physics and arts in her studies and ended up analyzing theoretical aspects of topological insulators. So hi Katrin, nice to have you here. Hi Federico, it's a pleasure. Also for me. Uh, so. Let's start by uh, understanding how you got to the field of physics and where it all started. So uh, after finishing high school, um, I uh, really didn't know what to do. Um, it was uh, I, I knew what what I was good at. It was arts and maths and physics, and um, I, I looked for something in between. So. Um, Either being arts or a mixture because there was like architecture or something like this mm -hmm. and um, also more mathematical things and then there was this open day at university and um, they presented um, different um, fields of studying and uh, in the uh, uh, mathematical and uh, science department we had uh, maths physics and medical physics and um, it was medical physics which really caught me because and that's maybe quite a thing when you when you finish uh, school you really want to know what you want to be in the end and mm -hmm. medical physics give gave me some um, some some outlook um, it was um, being uh, a medical physicist, for instance, in uh, yeah. in the hospital mm -hmm. and uh, treating um, um, patients in oncology, and yeah. um, this was where it all basically started yeah. with studying physics in general. I see. So I understand it was a bit more reassuring to know what you are going to be after your studies, and maybe that's why also you chose uh, medical physics. You were a bit more. Uh, uh, sure of what you were going to be. I see. And instead, how did you then get introduced to the field of condensed matter? Um, there was a, a quite uh, long, or at least not a straight journey to, mm -hmm. to condensed matter physics. And in my uh, bachelor thesis, I had to uh, um, get a better understanding of semiconductors. And at that point, uh, medical physicists didn't really um, get into touch with semiconductors except for a, um, a small lecture where uh, we just got an understanding of source and drain, <laughs> so to say. Mm -hmm. um, um, and uh, that was the point where I really had to teach myself how this think works and besides that I also attended the master lecture already uh, semiconductor physics uh, or semiconductor devices and at that point I realized I'm quite very interested in this case and um, and so the next semester I already intended uh, um, theoretical solid state physics and that was the point I think where I really switched to, to theoretical physics in general 
and um, still being a medical physicist, I did my master thesis in, um, in theoretical physics uh, and then I switched. I see. So basically you were a medical physicist both in your bachelor and master's, but the master thesis was not about medical physics. Right. Um, I understand. But um, so, so I actually was allowed to do that because mm -hmm. uh, having the master, we uh, uh, have basically, as a medical physicist, you have the uh, basic studies uh, complete for a physicist and mm -hmm. beyond, of course. But you have uh, all the basic courses you need. Yeah. And so I was allowed to do a theoretical um, uh, master thesis. I see. I see. And after that, you chose for your PhD to continue in this field. Yes, so, so it was uh, quite, um, when, when I uh, was doing my master thesis, um, I asked around uh, the master students if you want to stay. And um, it took me quite some time to, to decide this because it's, of course, it's, it's, it's a time you, t you take for yourself uh, to be a PhD student. And you never know if your project works. And, uh, and then I decided um, since this group is also um, so, so uh, nice and helpful to, um, that I want to be a PhD student here. Mm -hmm. I see. And so uh, who was your supervisor of your PhD studies? Um, Reinhard Egger. So it's uh, mm -hmm. my, uh, is the professor of our institute. Okay. And uh, how did you, or when did you join the ML4Q? Cluster. Um, I think it was last year um, when our student uh, Matthias finished, uh, when I was the next in line and uh, was uh, joining the MFQ cluster. And um, since then, I have also attended the conferences mm -hmm. and some courses. So, uh, Did you enjoy your time so far? Yes, uh, it was uh, quite interesting, especially in, in uh, February, uh, where we had uh, this, this online conference, even that was on, though it was online, uh, especially in the end, we had some very in, uh, nice uh, chatting mm -hmm. together, for, together with Professor Ando and uh, Christian Dickel and um, some other PhD students like Johannes Kölzer, who also did uh, the first um, podcast. And yeah. I see. So. Uh, I wanted to ask you, since you, you had this uh, sort of unconventional uh, trajectory towards uh, this field of theoretical physics, I wanted to ask you if you think that your uh, previous experience in medical physics, where maybe you studied more applied uh, things, was anyhow useful for your uh, future, so your, your future studies, which were instead much more theoretical. So maybe uh, as an approach, not necessarily as uh, real knowledge. Yeah. So, so when it comes to real knowledge, it's really um, medical physics is basically it's, it's nuclear physics. Mm. So it's uh, in that case, um, I mean, there are quite some fields that are connecting. Um, for instance, if you look at um, uh, detector physics, which you need um, for um, uh, positron electron tomography, um, you have some connection between uh, semicon uh, uh, semiconductor physics, for instance, mm -hmm. but uh, it's not uh, the case that you really have uh, some some topics that are related to what we do here. Yeah. Um, however, um, um, the, during the medical physics uh, studies, I um, 
learned um, also some things uh, like um, like um, like programming skills and um, and uh, numerical skills and which were quite helpful in the end. So yeah. this is what I really can say. I, I took it and. Um, in this case, I would say yes, but of course, it's it's not a quite a related topic. And mm -hmm. still, it brought me at some point to to sure. uh, theoretical physics. So um, there must be a connection. And I think this was really in uh, that small part of, of uh, yeah semiconductor physics. I see. And you already have uh, some definitive plans for your future after your PhD. Not not quite yet, but it's uh, there are a lot of uh, of, of fields um, um, which are interesting. In, in case it has to be mathematical, so mm -hmm. uh, from my experience from student jobs, I know that I um, that that doing just software development to make a software complete for a user is. Uh, not uh, the mathematical approach I need. Uh, mm -hmm. So I really do very, very mathematical things and also analytically. So it's not only uh, numerically yeah. uh, with programming. It's really computing things with in my head and mm -hmm. it's, uh, I need with, it. With the pen? So you with still the use pen. the pen a lot? I lose, use the pen a lot. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really, it's, uh, um, I think that's also what I need. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say... I also use it and um, maybe future generations will feel more comfortable writing on a tablet than us. I don't know. But I think we grew up also in school, always using the pen, doing, ma uh, doing math and stuff like that. And I also feel more comfortable with that. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I like it. I also uh, switched a bit, but, but I, I think it's not the same feeling for me. As you say, it's, it's quite to get, if you get used to that, to that pen and paper, it's, mm. it's really difficult to, to get loose of that. And it's, it's a quite a thing of, um, of creating stuff uh, on, on that sheet. It's, it's maybe something you, you get used to. Yeah. Um, so I heard that you're quite an expert on uh, topological insulators. <laughs> So do you want to tell us a little bit of what are these things? Because I don't think that many people actually know about them. Yeah, as, as a PhD student, you usually have a focus on one thing. And in my case, it's, it's a topological insulator. And um, a topological insulator is uh, an insulator, um, or better to say, an insulator with... Um, uh, um, conducting surface, so you have the, the bulk states being gapped and one gapped surface state, mm -hmm. and uh, that's what it, it's that that's what makes it makes it quite different to the normal insulator. I see. And uh, do you feel like maybe explaining uh, just in simple terms what is maybe the basic mechanism that uh, allows uh, for such materials to have this behavior? Um, so, um, the crystal structure allows for um, time reversal invariant points. And um, if we um, look, for instance, as a, an, at a two-dimensional topological insulator, it's quite similar to the quantum spin Hall effect. And um, uh, where you have applied external magnetic field and you get um, those, those time, uh, Z2 topological invariants, but uh, in a 3D, 3D topological insulator, it's quite different. Uh, you have um, 
weak and strong topological insulators. Mm-hmm. And the weak ones can uh, be produced by stacking layers of uh, 2D topological insulators, while the strong ones uh, can be produced by uh, other materials like trichogenides, uh, bismuth, and um, telluride and selenide. And um, these um, materials uh, allow for four topological invariants. And these four mm-hmm. topological invariants don't need a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. And instead, um, spin momentum locking protects, and uh, spin orbit coupling protects those four uh, states. And um, with an odd number of Kramers degenerate pairs, um, we have two Dirac cones at the end and uh, these two Dirac cones um, are then as also one of the Dirac cones is a conducting surface state mm-hmm. so you don't need the magnetic field instead uh, spin momentum locking yeah so I understand that uh, yeah this is one of the main differences from this standard uh, quantum Hall effect that there you need strong magnetic fields to create such an effect external and here instead it's not needed Yes, so you really don't, uh, you really have um, this uh, 3D topological insulator mm-hmm. without an external magnetic field mm-hmm. just because of uh, protected states that you have. I see. And uh, why uh, recently there, were, there is so much attention uh, from the, of course, physics community in uh, topological insulators? So why do you think there is such a big interest in installing them? So for once, uh, you have this this in interesting topological, really topological structure. So you have a gap, which you can, uh, a closed gap, which you can produce by um, uh, bismuth alloys um, and um, and uh, enhancing them with other material. Like in this, uh, so first it was done with um, uh, antimonium, and by adding antimonium at some point for the, a certain concentration gave you this, this interesting state. And uh, the other case is, um, so topological insulators um, have this one surface stage uh, state which um, allows for, for different applications. So you can really, with magnetic fields in the photo, uh, 3D topological insulator, also steer them open or closed. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's it's different to a normal insulator. So you have a in, uh, really closed single band gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. And you have this conductivity on the surface. Yes. Uh-huh. And... Um, do you did you study so far more like two-dimensional insulator topological insulators or three-dimensional topological? Because you mentioned there are two types. Uh, I was uh, studying 3D topological insulators, mm-hmm. so with, with bulk insulator, um, and in my first project um, we, um, which was based on on a, a research done by my supervisor already, mm-hmm. um, was. Uh, that um, they had a bike insulating a surface Hamiltonian um, uh, for the case of a non-wire um, made out of a 3D topological insulator. And um, based on that, um, we started phonon-induced backscattering mm-hmm. in the topological insulator. Yes, and um, uh, what was one of the 
things you focused on in your paper. I, I believe you wanted also to understand how the conductivity on this insulator depended on the temperature. Yes, exactly. So we wanted first we wanted to study phases. So we looked at different phases uh, for, for zero temperature and um, found that we also have uh, um, um, uh, spin density wave on the one hand and we have also um, a superconducting phase. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was that um, we looked at uh, temperature effects for shifted magnetic fields and how uh, phonon scattering because um, with at a magnetic flux of one half is this band gap in a in the wire is closed mm -hmm. and um, that's due to the nano wire geometry because we said we don't need a magnetic field yes. before yes. in order to um, get a conducting surface state in the topological 3d topological insulator uh, but we need that due to the nanowire geometry. So we need a half integer flux to g get the gap closed. And uh, having this closed gap, um, we don't have really phonon effects that interfere. And at a shifted uh, magnetic field, when phonon effects, uh, so especially backscattering yeah. for a nanowire on the substrate, which cannot move up or downwards, just longitudinal movement of phonons, mm -hmm. um, we have temperature effects, so we can see it. I see. And so I understand that your paper is theoretical and you could predict quite a few things about these um, uh, topological insulators. So uh, is there so far any experimental confirmation of the um, findings that you had? Um, before we um, worked on this paper, um, there was already a publication by the group of Weiss mm -hmm. in uh, Regensburg and um, they studied a macrotellerite nanowire, um, better to say a strained macrotellerite nanowire because macrotellerite in general is a 2D topological insulator, strained macrotellerite is a 3D topological insulator. And um, so we could compare with their results mm. and um, they also showed this, this uh, the conductivity based on, or better, better to say the closed band gap studies um, for a wire and or a nano ribbon better to say and um, so we could quite compare our results with uh, theirs in this case and how did they compare um, so um, we found this, those conductance steps that we also had um, mm -hmm. and uh, we, um, the conductance steps were basically the results without uh, where phonon interaction didn't really have a large impact mm -hmm. and um, in also um, as already said we had, uh, the, we had also numerical studies and yeah. looked at the band gap and uh, this, of course, uh, already coincided with the old mm. research of oh, that, supervisor. That's very nice. I think when uh, one has a theoretical work, like you do a theoretical work, and there is a matching with uh, like experimental evidence, I think it's very nice, especially on uh, such a hard topic like this one. I, I looked at your paper, and it's full of, uh, as you mentioned, analytical calculations, and um, it looks really complicated. So. 
uh, being able to reproduce experimental evidence after all these calculations, it should feel satisfactory or not. Yeah, so, so in this case it was opposite. This, uh, the experiment was before. Yeah. And, but of course, it's, uh, it's good if you see, okay, we agree with each other. Yeah. And you, you have the feeling um, at that point we are really... Uh, we we have uh, we have proven it now from from both sides. So exactly. No, I think this is very important because we know there are fields in physics <coughs> ongoing where uh, other theoreticians do a lot of calculations, very complicated results, but they don't have the chance right now, and who knows when, to actually verify that what they calculated is somehow describing an aspect of reality of our universe because there are also studies when, where they uh, investigate other type of universes and it might be still useful in the far future, but um, maybe uh, I think this can give a bit more of a satisfaction feeling, I think, for a theoretician if you, if you have the uh, response of the experiment as well. Yeah, I, I talked to Dagmar and uh, she was she exactly explained this problem when she said mm -hmm. um, it's it's we are not in the uh, we we don't have um, the experience now to uh, look at quantum cryptography and uh, that's of course in in my case it's uh, one must say that um, in in case of topological insulators. Um, they have been found around, so, so predicted around 2005 and 2007 mm -hmm. and uh, a bit later they were also really uh, shown experimentally. Mm -hmm. So it's quite still a new research read, but um, this, this uh, experimental investigation really enhanced the whole studies on that point because yes. it can really show everything. And It's true. And uh, let's be honest, uh, experimental investigations require funds but they also bring funds if they are successful right yeah uh, the uh, they have usually I, at least from my experience I see that the experimental results even confirmations have a often a bigger impact maybe than I don't know the work that predicted that uh, that result um, yes but both are important absolutely um, I'm also a theoretician, but I absolutely uh, admire the work of the experimentalist. Um, I wanted to ask you maybe a simpler question. So before you were mentioning examples of 3D topological insulators, and it sounded that these examples are, are all um, made in the lab, basically artificial. But do you think that these kind of uh, materials can exist in nature already? Can we find them? So uh, we can really etch, um, or, uh, not etch, but uh, we can really uh, vaporize um, topological insulators. And the really nice thing about bismuth, tellurite, and selenite is that uh, it's even working at room temperature. So mm -hmm. uh, it's quite an advantage. And um, and uh, I think th this makes it quite uh, so so interesting in general. Yes. So and what about um, maybe other applications for topological insulators like uh, topological uh, quantum computing that requires Majorana fermions. So can one generate these kind of uh, quasi-particles and achieve this? So um, that's basically um, the work we are doing in the cluster. We are trying to do this um, and there is work um, theoretically and uh, experimentally. 
uh, going on uh, in trying to really, for instance, uh, produce this topo those topological devices. Uh, so what is done and what is known until now, and as you can um, put a topological insulator, um, for instance, as a nanowire, you can put it on a substrate, which is uh, superconducting, and uh, then the whole uh, topological insulator will be superconducting. And um, according to this, um, there are predictions and um, um, the research is still going on. Um, that's why it's quite still a very interesting and recent topic uh, to uh, achieve the Majorana fermions. And it's uh, quite difficult uh, to really... Uh, to be sure. To somehow. be sure. And uh, that's um, why it's really still ongoing topic. Yeah. Well, I believe that with all these efforts, including the ones in the cluster, maybe we'll get there uh, with more uh, confidence uh, near in the future. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> and how do you feel in general about the field that you're working on right now, so topological insulators, in the bigger picture, like in terms of the interest that the community has in it? Do you think it will is going to be long term because of the applications? Uh, or do you think that it might be a bubble that uh, deflates after the most important results are, are obtained? Do you have a perspective on that? I, I think so. So for now, as long as we are, uh, as there's fields open, like for instance, looking for, for qubits, looking for, uh, for superconducting material, I think uh, as long as we are working on that, it's it's uh, quite uh, still a, a recent topic. Maybe so. So I think for for now it's it has a it, it still has a very interesting future. So, mm -hmm. um, um, but uh, of course uh, the the first uh, great uh, experience was when they uh, were shown uh, experimentally, which of course. Uh, um, just uh, raised a new uh, uh, open basically op yeah, yeah it's, it's, it was quite a new research field mm -hmm. even though they were already predicted and of course direct fermions existed and uh, uh, Majorana fermions were also uh, already studied mm -hmm. but um, at, at that point I think it was uh, well at least it took uh, from what you said it took not long from the theoretical prediction to the observation, right? It's not like the Higgs boson that, that yeah. I don't know, we had I don't know, 40, 50 years or so. I, uh, uh, yes, so, so it was, uh, so, so um, the uh, time was quite short of, of predicting it, but of course, uh, with having Dirac Fermion studied <laughs> at uh, 1928 uh, yeah. and <laughs> predicting uh, much later so the prediction <laughs> was late not the observation was <laughs> early i see i see and um do you uh see some connection in the the work that you carried out with maybe the other uh, objectives of the cluster or the work that is going on in the other groups so as i already said uh, of course uh, the underlap has um um, applications, experimental investigations on uh, topological uh, devices, and also um, um, in groups like, um, for instance, uh, Alexander Eitland or Achim Rosch, they um, 
also studying topological insulators or topological materials. Mm -hmm. So um, in general, it's for sure still a very uh, theoretically um, very um, much studied field. Um, experimentally, um, of course, uh, as well, but um, mm -hmm. may maybe uh, not much, uh, that, mu that much. Like, okay. uh, like So there's room also there for uh, yeah, more work. I see. Well, thank you for this, uh, these insights and the work that you um, did so far. And uh, maybe now uh, to be a bit more chilled and relaxed, we could play a very easy game. So basically, uh, here I'm going to say uh, two words and uh, you have to choose one of them. No? And quite quickly, so that... Uh, uh, you, you shouldn't have time to think, okay? Uh, but don't worry, it's nothing, uh, it's nothing uh, difficult. So the first two would be uh, intuition or rigor, like being rigorous. Intuition. Intuition, okay. So is this also your approach when you work? No, no not in science. Not in, in science. In science, it's research. Okay, okay. The other thing would be art or history? Art. art. Uh, wine or beer? Definitely wine, but also not that much. <laughs> okay. Uh, cold weather or hot weather? That's difficult. May, may, can I make a superposition out of it? <laughs> so you like both? Yeah, in both, and uh, and uh, it can also switch sort of like like at the same day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Ah, I see. I see. Uh, what about new language or new skill? Oh, that's difficult. <laughs> uh, if you have to choose, if you're... Quickly, then it's maybe a new skill because, mm -hmm. uh, so also during Corona, I teach myself. So I, I had some uh, very uh, basic sewing skills, but mm -hmm. I teach myself to sew. So it's, ah, uh, but good. I also like to learn languages, so... <laughs> that's good. And uh, what about uh, self-learning or being taught? Mm. So self-learning uh, as being a PhD student, of course, mm. but uh, well, so amazing lectures. So uh, I, let's say self-learning, but uh, yeah, quite you also enjoy being taught. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And painting or reading? Painting. painting. <laughs> so do you spend much more time painting than reading? Yes. Probably outside your work time. Outside my work time, of I, course. I, yeah, in my work, I don't paint that much, and we I don't want to say that Catherine most of the time paints and. <laughs> few moments during the day works okay <laughs> and um, regarding the conferences uh, since now we experience both types you prefer the online ones or the one in person I prefer the one in person to be honest because um, whenever I see my students it's like um, if they don't understand something they have the look of they didn't get it yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that's the point where I really know I have to repeat this and um, Especially when it comes to difficult things like uh, entropy, for instance, mm -hmm. and you really have to explain entropy a few times to to uh, um, to give an understanding what what really entropy means in this mm -hmm. case. And um, so uh, I think it's really the lectures in person. <laughs> okay, and uh, coffee or tea? Uh, tea. Tea, but tea. you had a coffee before. <laughs> no, I didn't have a coffee. Ah, okay. I thought you did. <laughs> I had the tea this morning. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. So you're a tea person. Yeah. And the uh, final one is uh, very relaxed because it's about holidays. So you prefer holidays in the countryside or in a city? 
uh, in the countryside uh, uh, um, and or beach, mm -hmm. if uh, possible. <laughs> right now during pandemic, yeah. it's always uh -huh. a bit difficult. But I was going to ask. In fact, the next one is mountains or beach. <laughs> it's beach. beach. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we know where we can find you this uh, summer then on holidays. Yeah, okay. if, if uh, the pandemic <laughs> of if course allows house. it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so. Okay, well, thank you for the nice conversation, and I hope that also our listeners and viewers uh, had a good time. Uh, see you next time. Bye bye. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>